Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. Well, tomorrow is October 31st, and that for us is a holiday that we call Halloween. Now, the actual origin of the holiday is somewhat hard to determine. It's hard to figure out. Way back in the 7th century, Christians would celebrate a night that was called All Hallows' Eve, And that night took place before the next day, which was a celebration called All Saints Day. So it was kind of like Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. You had All Hallows' Eve and then All Saints Day. It was a celebration that was about remembering Christians who had died in that previous year. Specifically, remembering Christians that had been killed or martyred for their faith in the previous year. So that is what it was a celebration about. Uh, But there's also some indications that our modern Halloween celebration has come from some pagan traditions. Traditions that claimed that October 31st was a dark and evil night in which spirits are more likely to be present. And some of those traditions for those pagan celebrations would include taking time to feast, to prepare a meal and have a feast and invite the spirits to participate in that feast with them. Or they would wear disguises on that night to hide from the spirits. Well, I think it's obvious our modern Halloween celebration has more to do with those pagan traditions than remembering and honoring Christians who've passed away. I mean, I think it's obvious that that's more of what the celebration has become. The term Halloween actually has evolved from that celebration of All Hallows' Eve, which means a holy evening. Do we ever think of holiness on Halloween night? Does that ever come into our thoughts, into our minds? I kind of doubt it. But this morning, I want to focus on that very unusual word, because we don't use it a lot. The word hollow. Not H-O-L-L-O-W, but H-A-L-L-O-W. It's the same word that's used for Halloween. A holy eve or a holy evening. It's also the word that Jesus used when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. It's a word that was found in what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And I'd like for us to read that together this morning, if you would, and I'll read it from the English Standard Version. So if you would, read this with me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 14. And I think we'll have that on the screen. There it is. Matthew 6, 9 through 14. Read it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Like I said, that's what has often been called the Lord's Prayer. Now that ending phrase, that ending phrase, for thine is the kingdom, that's not in the earliest Greek copies of the New Testament. It's not there. Uh, If you look at Matthew 6, 9 through 14, in most English Bibles, it's not there. That ending phrase wasn't in the original Greek of the New Testament, but it is found in the Didache, which is a collection of the disciples' teachings. It is also added to the Lord's Prayer in later copies of the New Testament. The King James Version does include it with its English translation, but most other English translations do not. Regardless, the Lord's Prayer was quoted by Jesus, and it's recorded twice in the Gospels. It's found in Matthew, and it's also found in the Gospel of Luke. Matthew's Gospel has a longer version. Luke's Gospel has a shorter version of it. Matthew includes this prayer when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and Luke records this prayer when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. In both Gospels, though, it is given as an example or it's given as a teaching about how to pray. And it's not meant to be a specific prayer that has any special power or capabilities. It's not a magical incantation that protects us or brings a blessing if we say it. We can't expect to recite that prayer word for word and therefore influence God's actions. It's not meant to be formulaic. It's not meant to be like that. It's not meant to be necessarily quoted, recited word for word, and it have some sort of special power or ability. Jesus wasn't teaching specific words to use to unlock the power or the mystery of prayer. He was actually teaching about the intent of our hearts over just empty and meaningless words. That's what he was teaching about. He was teaching more about how we pray from our hearts, our attitudes, our thoughts, not necessarily about what words we are specifically meant to use. In Matthew Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, this is what he says. This is right before... He talks about the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And that's when Jesus then gives the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is meant to teach us about our attitude in prayer. It's supposed to teach us about our attitude in prayer, and it's 
more important, our attitudes more important than just the words we use. Empty, but maybe impressive words. It's not about how many words you say, it's what's in your hearts when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites, he says. Don't be like the hypocrites that are just praying to look and sound impressive. That's why they're praying. They just want to look and sound impressive. Don't be that. Don't pray these long-winded prayers without any real depth or without any real meaning. The example of the Lord's prayer is actually an example of a very simple prayer. And it begins with that phrase, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Remember that word hallow means holy. It's an English translation of the Greek word hagios. And technically and fundamentally, that word hagios, it means different than the world. It means special and unique. It gets translated to holy, but it means different than the world, special, unique. When we pray, here's the thing, and I think this is such a huge misunderstanding. You hear people say all the time, you know, oh, I'm going to pray about that. And so often, I think we equate prayer with just casting a wish out into the universe or whatever. You know, when we're praying, when we're praying, we're not just making a wish. We're not just thinking good things. We're not just hoping good things. When we pray, we're not just sending our thoughts out into the unknown. When we pray, we are speaking our words and our thoughts to the God of all that is. He is unique. He is special. He is different than anything else in this world. He is eternal. He is pure. He is perfect. He has all knowledge. He has all power. He has all authority. Nothing else or no one else can compare. Nothing comes even close to who God is. He is holy. He's holy. Do you remember when the prophet Isaiah was given a vision of God? God allowed Isaiah to see this vision. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, we read about it. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Isaiah saw the Lord upon his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Back in that day, in that culture, 
the glory of a king was often signified by how long his robe was. For the king of kings, his robe filled the entire temple. And then all around him were these angels, these seraphim, these angels with six wings. With two, they're covering their eyes. With two wings, they're covering their feet. And with two, they're flying around. And they were calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And their voices were like thunder-like. And it shook the room. And it filled the room with smoke. And in the power of that vision, right there in the presence of God, how did Isaiah react? How did he respond? He said, woe to me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. In the presence of God's holiness, Isaiah recognized his guilt and his unworthiness. God, I can't be here. I can't stand here. I'm in your presence, and it's too overwhelming because I am too filled and consumed with guilt, and I am unworthy. In Luke chapter 5, Peter falls at the feet of Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. In Revelation, when John sees a resurrected and glorified Jesus, the Bible says that he fell at his feet as though he were dead. The holiness of God is all about how God is so pure and so perfect. In fact, he is so perfect and so pure that when we encounter it, we can't handle it. When we are in the presence of God, near God, we can't handle his holiness. It is too overpowering for us. A couple weeks ago, Leanne and I were able to spend some time in Tennessee. Uh, We got to visit our daughter and her husband, and that was really nice. We also just got some time away, and that was really nice. And one afternoon, we were able to go out and just drive, just drive to see the fall colors. Because we've been down there in the fall before, but the colors this year were just so crisp and so sharp so early on. It was beautiful to see. So we drove a road that's called the Foothills Parkway. And it's a scenic drive along the border of the Smoky Mountains. It's a Nice, smooth road, lots of curves, lots of good views to see. There's no intersections. There's no um, stores or gas stations or anything. So it's just, just you on this nice road with these really nice views. And I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, just, I just heard this loud engine rev and pop. And I looked behind me, and right behind me were these really nice, there were two supercars behind me. Um, the first one right behind me was a Lamborghini. The one behind that, I'm pretty sure, was a McLaren. Uh, If you know anything about cars, both of those cars are worth over $200,000. They're what they call supercars. So we've got this McLaren, a Lamborghini, and then my 2014 Tucson. Um... And we're driving these roads, and they're right up on me. And I was leading the group, or as I prefer to say, I was winning the race. 
That's how I took it. Um, actually, it was very obvious that they, they wanted to get around me. And honestly, just for a second, I kind of liked that they were stuck behind me. <laughs> but then I, I started looking for a, a, a place to pull over uh, and let them pass, just somewhere where I could kind of edge over and let them around me. And, and when I found that spot and I moved over, they took off. And I looked over at Leanne and said, can I keep up with them? Uh, here's my point. I couldn't have kept up with them if I wanted to. They're driving these $200,000 supercars. My Hyundai Tucson is not worth, two, it's got almost 200,000 miles. So I couldn't have kept up with them if I wanted to. All I could do was yield. Just pull over and let them take the road. God is holy, and we are not. Romans 3.23 tells us that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. God's here, and we're nowhere close. We've all fallen short of his glory. God is holy, and we are not, and he has every capability, he has every right to just pass us by and leave us in the dust, leave us in the dirt, of our sin. He has every capability and every right to just do that. But Romans 3.24 tells us that God didn't do that. That verse tells us that we can be justified freely by the grace of God through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. When Isaiah had that moment and he encountered God in his throne room, he confessed his sin, and here's what happened. In Isaiah 6, verse 6 and 7, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Isaiah referred to his sin as having unclean lips. And God had an angel take this hot coal and touch his mouth with it and declared, your sin is atoned for. In Romans, once again, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the atonement for our sins. Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. God is holy, and we are not. Our sin has earned us judgment from God. But if we yield and place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are therefore justified. We're made right with God. We are forgiven, and our sin is atoned for. So as Christians, when we pray, we are praying to a holy God. And whether we say it specifically or it's just an attitude in our hearts, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are recognizing the holiness of God. Whenever we spend time with God in prayer, I would hope that we never lose the incredible significance of that moment. When you and I pray, we are talking with the one who spoke this world into existence. The primary definition of holiness means to separate, 
The Hebrew word for holiness comes from a word that means to cut and to separate. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, something has such a good quality, they say it's a cut above the rest? Have you ever heard that? It's a cut above the rest. That's the same imagery here. That's the same image of that Hebrew word for holiness. God's holiness makes him a cut above everything else. He's unique. He's above all else. He's pure and he's perfect. And yet, even in that holiness, even though God is a cut above, even though he is so holy, pure and perfect, and we are so far from that, even in all of that, he desires to be with us. He invites us into a relationship with him. And he hears and he speaks to us in our prayers. Can we acknowledge how amazing that is? The starting point for prayer is to recognize the holiness of God. But it's even more than that. Because hallowed be your name wasn't just a statement that was declared. It wasn't Jesus just saying, hallowed be your name, making a statement. It was also a request. When Jesus prayed to God, he was asking God to make his name hallow, to make it holy. So the next question is, what does it mean for God to hallow his name? What do we mean when we ask God to hallow his name? God is holy, but what does it mean to ask God to make his name holy? Well, Albert Moeller explained it like this. He said this. He said, when Jesus petitions God to hallow his name, he's asking that God act in such a way that he visibly demonstrates his holiness and his glory. God, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. May that be known. Think about it like this. Our name is an indication of who we are. It's our identity. When you think of me, when you think of Kevin Purdy, I hope that you think good things. I hope that you don't just think, well, he's a guy that has lame jokes. You know, I hope you think more than that. You know, your name is your identity. It's a part, it's, it, it indicates who you are. Most of us want our names to be associated in good, upstanding, and admirable ways. God's name also speaks of his identity. His name indicates his character and his reputation. In Psalm 23, David wrote about the Lord being his shepherd, and he said, He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. What does that mean? It means God did this for his own reputation, for his identity. In Ezekiel 20, God says, But for the sake of my name... I did what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nations. You know, in our world world today, the name of God has been so misunderstood and so mistreated. It's more common today to hear God's name as an emotional expression or even as profanity. How often do you hear God's name not being used in reference to God? but being used as just some emotional expression or being used with profanity. I mean, it's, 
That's how God's name is most often reused. And that's because so many people don't really and honestly know God. Because if they knew God as the holy God that he is, his name would be treated much better than it's treated. When we pray, we need to recognize and be totally aware of God's holiness. And when we pray and when we ask that his name be holy, hallowed be your name, our first request, our first priority is to want the world to know the holiness of God. And do you know how the world's going to know that? Do you know how the world is going to know the holiness of God? People will know the holiness of God by knowing us, God's people, Christians. As Christians, we're meant to represent God. As Christians, we are called to be his ambassadors to this world. We are meant to be salt and we are meant to be light. God is holy and we are called to holiness. 1 Peter 1 Verse 15 and 16 says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. The holiness of God is meant to be evident in the lives of those who follow him. Let me say that one more time. The evidence of holiness is supposed to be in the lives of those who follow God. Those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are called to pursue holiness because that's the character of God. This morning I want to encourage you, keep asking yourself, is this something holy? Is my attitude right now holy? Is this decision I'm making right now, is it holy? Is this helping me become more holy? How can I be closer to God to become more like him? Is this something holy? And then I want to encourage you, when you pray, when you pray, will you make a commitment to pray that God be known for his holiness? Hallowed be his name. Will you pray that his name and who he is is glorified and honored. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the word of God be living and active in your life.